I'm Aubrey Henderson. I'm a recovering people pleaser turned self-worth coach, here to help you befriend your inner critic, break up with people pleasing, and reconnect with your desire. Every week, I share my answers to your questions, live coaching sessions, interviews, and more to help you reconnect with your self-worth. Have you ever felt stuck in your life and just needed a really fucking good pep talk? Well, babe, you've come to the right place. Welcome to Ask Aubrey. I'm so glad you're here. Hey, babes. Welcome to this week's episode. This week, I want to talk about something that is actually an offshoot of a conversation I had a couple of weeks ago for my friend Kat's podcast called You Need Therapy. And, you know, I shared this if you follow me on Instagram. You know, this is a really great conversation that I had with Kat about people pleasing. And so if you want to go listen to that episode, um, again, her podcast is called You Need Therapy. It's great. You should check it out. Definitely subscribe. And the episode that I'm referencing came out on March 22nd. Yeah, March 22nd. And it's called Breaking Up with People Pleasing and also has my name in the title. So you'll know the one. And we just we had a really great conversation about people pleasing, about what it is, what it looks like, why we do it. And, you know, some strategies to begin to sort of untangle and, you know, rewrite some of those patterns for ourselves and to begin to practice setting boundaries and, you know, building up better habits for healthy relationships. And so in that conversation, something that I referenced that I didn't go into super in depth in that interview, but that I wanted to talk about more is this idea that you know, often we think about setting boundaries. And of course, if you're going to, if you're somebody who identifies as a people pleaser and you struggle with this and you're finding it's depleting you and it's exhausting and you're feeling resentful and it's having an impact on you, one of the first things that's a tangible step to take in order to, as we said in that episode, to break up with people pleasing is to set boundaries, right? That's sort of the the first kind of straightforward, simple, not easy, simple responses is, okay, you need to set boundaries. And in thinking about what that means, I think a lot of people think about boundaries and either immediately kind of our brain goes to, oh, boundaries equal estrangement. Like boundaries mean that I have to cut someone out of my life completely or that I have to like put up a wall between me and this person or that I have to set like a really hard and intense limit. And yes, that can be true, right? There are boundaries that look that way. And there are a lot of boundaries that are around, you know, sort of this idea of don't do this thing, right? We're, we're communicating to someone, this is a line I need you to not cross because if you do this, it will do harm to me. So I need you to stop doing it. Or I'm no longer going to engage with you if you do X, Y, Z, right? That it's something we view as more of a negative conversation, right? To say, this is what I want you to not do. And again, that can definitely be true. And in a lot of cases, communicating boundaries means saying, hey, I need you to stop doing this thing. Or I can no longer engage with you in this way if you continue to have this behavior toward me, right? And that's important. And that matters a lot. And, you know, when I'm working with coaching clients, when I'm talking to friends, when I'm approaching boundaries in my own life, those types of boundaries are necessary and they come up all the time. But something that we don't often talk about when we think about the idea of setting boundaries or kind of communicating our needs and our desires, right, is that 
we think about what we don't want and how we communicate what we don't want, but we don't often think about the inverse, which is communicating what we do want. And you know, when I'm coaching someone around boundary setting and it's somebody who's like completely new to it, right? They've never done it before. I suggest two things that I that often are like a little puzzling to people at first, which one of them is that I would say, you know, okay, so most people when they come to me for help setting boundaries, you have like usually one, maybe more than one, but usually at least one person in your life that you think of. And if you're listening to this, I want you to think of this person who is like the person you you know you need to set boundaries with, right? Are you thinking of your person? Like the person in your life that you know, oh God, I got to set better boundaries with this person. I find myself, you know, feeling violated after we interact, feeling like the things they say are harmful, but I haven't really named that and I don't know how to set boundaries. There's kind of that that person. And for some people, it's more than one, right? And people will come to me and say, I need to set better boundaries with my mom or I need to set better boundaries with my partner or with my boss or with this friend. And... My advice, if somebody has not worked on setting boundaries before, if this is new terrain, is to say, okay, so we're actually not going to start with that person. That's exactly what we're not going to do. And it's kind of confusing for people because that, you know, it seems counterintuitive. Like, no, 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 like that's, but I want help with that. And what I actually will suggest to people is that starting with boundary setting is something that it can be much much less intimidating, much less intense to start in a relationship where things actually feel more healthy, where there's a lot of trust, where there's a lot of, you know, safety that we're feeling with with that particular person. So maybe, you know, your mom isn't the person to start with if there's a lot of, you know, kind of emotional intensity, if it's like super fraught in that relationship. Maybe that's not the place to start practicing <laughs> your very first boundary setting conversation. Maybe it's to think about who's the person that I feel safest with and closest to, who knows that I'm working on this or who I'd feel comfortable telling that I'm working on this and that we could practice in a way that feels lower stakes, right? In a way that you trust that this person will will receive it well and so you actually feel enabled to practice, right? And so, you know, a lot of the time that's maybe someone's partner or their best friend or a sibling that they're really close with, right? Somebody who you already feel that trust and safety with and starting there. So first of all, like, yeah, that there's this piece of not not beginning with the most sort of fraught, you know, harmful, like the la- the relationships we'd label as toxic are probably not the ones to begin your very first boundary setting practice, um, but maybe starting instead in relationships that feel healthier. And what people will then say to me is like, one, what do I need to set boundaries around in that relationship if it's healthy, right? Like, I can't think of something I want to tell them not to do. And two, like, oh, I thought boundaries were only for toxic relationships, right? So why why even do I need to set boundaries? So why do I need to set the boundaries with this person who I trust and have a really healthy relationship with? And also, what do I even set boundaries around? And something that I'll then, you know, work with people on, and I think of, you know, an example of one client in particular that I'll share in a minute, is the fact that setting boundaries is really a version of communicating your needs to another person. And this is, you know, you're basically saying, this is my need. And if that need is not respected or met, then this is what's going to happen as a result, right? And sometimes that's, you know, if you if you raise your voice and yell at me in conversation, I'm going to leave the conversation. You know, I can't engage in conversation with you if you 
are yelling. Or, you know, if you bring up this topic with me, every time I come over to your house for dinner, I'm not going to be able to continue coming over because that is harmful for me. You know, whatever the case may be, right? It's, it's just communicating a need, which is to not talk about that thing, to not be yelled at, right? To not, to not have a person violating a boundary. But a way to flip that on its head is to think about what are the positive things, the things that you want more of, the things that you would like to continue to experience in your life, and how can you communicate those things? And that's, I don't want to say that that feels easier than communicating what we don't want or what we what we need to have, you know, stop, what we need to set like limits around, right? I don't want to say that it's easier to communicate what you do want, what you do need versus what you don't want or what you need not to have happen because I think both of them are challenging, which is part of why I think that communicating about the positive things, the things that are going well, you're still building a muscle. It's not, it doesn't feel natural for a lot of us. I think for a lot of reasons and we, you know, if you go listen to my conversation with Kat, I talk more about why that is and how we're we're socialized to, and a lot of us, depending on a lot of different identity factors, right? This is, this is something that can vary based on kind of the culture you grew up in, can vary based on your family dynamic, on your gender identity, on your race, a lot of different factors, right? But many of us are socialized to believe that we are putting some kind of burden onto someone else by asking for what we need, whether it's more of this please or whether it's less of this please, right? It any of those things can often really feel like a burden. And more of this please can feel like asking too much. And less of this please can feel like it's creating conflict, right? And so both of them are things that can feel really challenging. But I think often because there is, you know, if there's conflict aversion, right? If there's we're worried about how someone's going to respond to us setting a limit around, you know, please don't do this thing, setting a boundary in that way then we can kind of neutralize that by focusing first on the things that are positive, right? And how we communicate needs and wants around things that are more positive. And so, you know, something to think about with that and to go back to the example of my client is that it doesn't necessarily have to be asking someone to do something that they're not already doing, like generating something completely new that you want someone to begin doing, right? And communicating wants and needs includes that. So that's important. If there is something that somebody's not doing, I would like my client to be able to communicate, hey, I would love if you would, you know, speak to me in this way, or if we could do more of this, or, you know, whatever, fill in the blank with whatever the thing is that you want or need in your relationship. But a place that you can really start is by naming what's already happening that you want to have keep happening. That can be a really easy kind of low-hanging fruit place to start. And so to use a concrete example, I had a client once tell me in a session, and this is a client where I was working with them on people-pleasing specifically and kind of how the people-pleasing behavior showed up in friendship relationships, right? And the, you know, the ways that we want to meet other people's needs, but it's hard to communicate kind of our own needs and navigate intimacy in that way. And so this person is describing to me, this client, a um, conversation with a friend where a friend reached out out of the blue and just in the middle of uh, my client was having a crappy day, a friend reached out out of the blue and said, hey, I was just thinking about you and, um, you know, hope that you're doing well and, you know, let's get together soon. I miss you. 
And my client said, you know, that it made my whole day, like it turned my whole day around to get that text from my friend. It was really, it was really meaningful to me. I felt so loved. I felt so seen. And, you know, this, yeah, this person just like really, really turned my day around. And that's like the kind of intimacy I want. And I said, wow, you know, how, how did your friend feel when you told them that? And my client kind of looked at me and was like, well, I didn't, I mean, I didn't tell them that. Like, I just, I just said, thanks, like, nice to hear from you. I didn't tell them that. And my challenge to that person was like, well, you know, why? Or could you tell them? You know, this was like a few days later. I said, could you tell them? What, what would it feel like to say that to them? Oh, like, you know. And I, the conversation with the client was there were some objections, and there often are, right, to this idea of, okay, well, my, when I think about that, what it would be like to say to my to my friend like wow it was really I really loved when you did that it felt really good for me there's kind of the the inner critic voice that pops up and says well that would be awkward right but that so much of that is our socialization we've been socialized to believe that right that naming what feels good is awkward or is is too much in some way and there's again a million identity factors that play into this but it's all this notion that it's somehow taboo to say, like, more of this, please, this feels good for me. And so with this client, I encouraged them to name that. That was actually, I assigned this to them as homework, to not only go back to that friend and say, hey, this felt really good for me, and I don't think you know that I was having a really shitty day, uh, but when you reached out to me and I heard from you and you said you were thinking of me, it really made my whole day, and I just want you to know how good that felt for me. There wasn't even, I mean, and I, I don't know exactly what this client said when they went back to their friend. I didn't even necessarily require them to say, like, do more of this, please. But just the act of being able to name for someone, hey, this felt really good for me, is powerful because it names for that person, oh, something I did made someone I care about feel loved, right? Something that I did had a positive impact on another person and now I know very clearly what that is because they're giving me feedback about it, right? Versus if you just send, have you ever sent like a really nice long text or, you know, note or whatever to somebody and they respond back like, okay, <laughs> without any kind of other information or feedback, like how, we know how that feels. It feels shitty. It feels like we've We've put effort into something, and were we necessarily expecting some big response back? Maybe some of us were. Um, I'll admit that I have been the person that's like sent a long, lovey thing to somebody hoping to get a long, lovey thing back, and I just get okay back. But the response that we get to things, we use it as data, whether it's conscious or subconscious. And so when somebody does something for you that feels nice, when somebody does something for you that makes you feel loved or makes you feel affirmed or safe in the relationship, then it makes sense that we want to give positive feedback to that person because it reinforces the behavior, right? And not in a way that I'm, you know, we're not, we're not, <laughs> I don't like talking about humans in the sense of like we're trying to train people how to treat us, right? Like we're not, I don't want to talk about it like that. But I mean, we are reinforcing for somebody their learning about what feels good for us. All of our interactions are ways for us to learn about each other and about how others like to be treated. And we know that when someone responds really well to something, we're more likely to do that thing again. So this has been a big practice for me in my adult life, in my relationships, 
to be able to name like, hey, that felt really good for me. And I actually literally was practicing this skill earlier today um, in a conversation with someone who is one of the humans that I am closest to, that I feel so emotionally safe with, that I, you know, can practice sort of even even the skills that I'm like still clunky or awkward at, <laughs> the things that I, I want to work on, but I, you know, I might not feel great at it yet, which again is what I recommend to my clients, right? Identify a safe person and you know, this person is is one of those people for me, which I'm so grateful for. And, you know, we were having a conversation and I I said to this person like, hey, the fact that you called me when you you had some free time and you, you know, the thing you thought to do was to call me and chat, like that makes me feel really good. It makes me feel, you know, like I'm important to you and that you like spending time with me and that is really lovely and it's meaningful to me, right? And to be fair, our relationship is one where that's a common way that we talk to each other, right? We both are we are pretty intentional about trying to be expressive about the things that feel good. I think for all of the very reasons that I'm talking about. Um, also, FYI, this is what it's like to be close friends with me is that you're just using these, these kind of skills and practices all the time, um, whether it's because you learn them from me or I learn them from you or some combination of the two, which is, I think, the case in this friendship in particular is it's we learn a lot from each other. But you know, I there is there is something that is so powerful about being able to just name that, right? Being able to say, this felt good for me. And for so many of us, we're just not socialized to view that as a normal, natural way that we communicate with each other, right? That's not a part of how we were taught to connect necessarily. And so it's not going to feel natural at first, but it's something that, like I said, in in the case of this relationship I'm describing, it feels completely natural. It's how we connect with each other. And that's because we have, you know, been practicing that consistently together. And it's become something that then feels normal and natural as a result of, you know, working out that muscle. And so I think starting from a place where you're naming things that are happening currently or already happen. So whether that's hey, when you reached out to me when I was having a shitty day, that felt really good. It made me feel like you were thinking of me or, you know, hey, I love the fact that you remember my coffee order. It makes me feel like, you know, the things that I like are really important to you and that makes me feel nice. Whatever it is, being able to name those things as they happen is a great first way to practice that versus having to, you know, ask for something that would feel good to you but isn't currently happening, which can feel a little bit higher stakes. Now, I will say... If you are planning to or you want to have a conversation where you're going to ask for something that you want or that you need, but you know it isn't yet currently happening and you need to name it for somebody, that can often feel scary, right? It can feel like we're asking too much or that we're, we're being high maintenance or whatever the case may be, right? And I think the thing to remember is that as you're going into that conversation, right, as you're preparing to make that ask, whatever it is, or express that need in whatever way you want to do that, it's remembering that you get to ask and you get to make your needs known. And that act in and of itself is empowering, right? That's something that you are worthy of doing. And that is something where you can take action to make your needs known. But the thing to remember, too, is that the other person in this scenario has the autonomy and the ability to say no. And that's part of, you know, that all ties back into really important concepts we talk about here all the time. That's consent, right? That's the other person in the relationship getting to have boundaries of their own, right? 
all of it is kind of an ongoing negotiation of what's, you know, the the place that we can land that feels the best and feels the safest for everyone involved and, you know, doesn't violate anyone's boundary. And so there's a chance that you could ask somebody for something and they could say no. And I think while that is often scary, like we can view that as a like, oh, I could ask for what I want and get rejected, right? We can view that as a negative, but we can also view that as a positive, which is to say, you're not going to be forcing anyone into anything, right? They, that person has the ability to advocate for themselves and to say, no, I, you know, I'm not able to give you that. I'm sorry, I'm not able to do that for you. And, you know, I think we go to the place where, yeah, that, you know, we think about it and that could be painful, that could feel like rejection. But if you're in a situation where your need is not currently being met and you, you, you know, you need to name it or ask for it or make it explicit, then more than likely your need is already not being met. And so by not naming it, by not making it clear to the other person, then in a sense, you're just guaranteeing that that continues, right? And it's not the other person explicitly saying, no, I'm not able to do this. But it's also not giving them the chance to decide, right? And so I think that's another thing to remember as you're thinking about, you know, if you're, if you're thinking, oh, it's scary to ask for what I need, which fair, I hear you. Remember that if you're in a position where you, you know, would need to ask, would need to name a need, that likely that need is already not being met and you're not giving the other person a chance to make that decision for themselves about whether they're willing to show up in that way. So I think that is something that's really, really important to keep in mind. And I think also, you know, we often think about naming our needs and we think we're going to put an undue burden on the other person and that, you know, it's just going to be overwhelming for them that we're asking for what they need and or for what we need and that they're going to, you know, feel like we're asking too much or we're being high maintenance or whatever it is, right? And what I encourage folks to do, so like a client, for example, who's like, oh, I don't, I'll be asking too much if I ask this other person or they're going to feel uncomfortable or they're going to be upset with me. I ask, I would ask you to put yourself in that other person's shoes, right? To sort of, you know, take on their perspective for a minute and imagine that someone close to you is coming to you with something that you know is vulnerable, right? Being able to ask for what we need really clearly is a vulnerable conversation to have, right? It's, it's a risk. That's why we feel feelings about it. It's a risk. So imagine someone's coming to you and they're being vulnerable and they're asking for what they need because your relationship is important to them. That feels like a gift, right? I think even if, even if it's something you weren't able to do, even if it's something you weren't willing to do, I think often when we put ourselves into the perspective of the other person and imagine that someone else is coming to us asking for exactly what we would be asking someone else for, it's a lot easier to think about that and see that, oh, this is a person who's being vulnerable, right? Like even if I'm not willing to or able to do what they're asking of me, and you know, often I think that's that ends up proving for my clients unlikely. I think that's the less likely scenario that someone says, you know, no, I'm not going to do that or no, I'm not willing to do that. It happens sometimes and you have to be open to that possibility. But often people are, the things we're asking for are perfectly reasonable, right? But even if not, the way that we would regard another person coming to us with that same request is often with a lot more compassion. And so I'll ask clients to visualize that, right? To think about how would you feel 
if another person came to you asking for this? Oh, you'd feel a lot of compassion. Do you think it would destroy the relationship? No? Okay, great. So now try to apply some of that same compassion to yourself. And then I think the last thing I would just encourage you to remember, and I know I say this a lot, this is, but this is the hill that I'll, I will die on, y'all, really and truly, is that I want you to remember that these kinds of conversations, the conversations that feel really vulnerable, and I think, you know, I think the, the sort of negative, I say negative, I think all boundary setting is, is positive and is a good thing. So I, but boundary setting around like negative behavior, things that we don't want to have happen, right, can feel really vulnerable. The boundary setting around the positive stuff, the stuff we want more of or communicating our needs around those things can feel vulnerable too in a different way, right? There is a certain level of like tenderness in being able to say, this felt really good for me or this would feel really good for me or I am longing for this thing, right? There's a level of of tenderness and of vulnerability to that that is not lost on me. And at the same time, that is how that vulnerability and the the willingness to kind of show up in that way is how we build intimacy and connection you know kind of and it's the same thing with boundaries that are around negative stuff that that kind of vulnerability and potential conflict and being willing to meet someone else in conflict to try to work through it and get through to the other side that's how we forge vulnerability that's how we forge intimacy and how we build connection in relationships and so, you know, I think what I would encourage you to remember if you're listening to this is this this idea that like we all have this, not all, but many people and a lot of people who are listening to this podcast have this impulse to feel like we're low maintenance, right? To feel like we don't have any needs, that we don't need anybody else, that we're completely independent, right? And that's self-protective, right? It's that is something that we is, is sort of this this armor that we build around ourselves this idea of like i don't need anything i don't need anyone i'm low maintenance i just show up for other people that's who i am it's self-protective it's it's a story we tell ourselves to avoid getting hurt and you know it's useful in a way sure for a lot of us it has served us really well often through a childhood where our needs were not prioritized and we sort of took on a focus elsewhere, you know, through a life where we are socialized to prioritize the needs of other people and we, you know, have lived into kind of a stereotype or, you know, a role that we've been placed in against our will, right, in order to survive. But also, if it's doing its job, this self-protection mechanism is also keeping you from deeply connecting with others because we know that connection is risky, right? It's scary. We could be heartbroken. We could be rejected. We connect with people and then people die. You know what I mean? Like it's, it is risky. Loving other people is risky. Getting deeply connected and intimate with other people is risky and it's scary. And it is also literally what we are placed on the earth for. At least I believe that, right? It's what we're wired for as humans. It's where we often source some of the deepest levels of joy and pleasure and happiness is from our connection with others and doing so in a way that is meaningful and authentic and that shows people who we truly are. And so if we go around the world saying, oh, we don't, you know, I don't really have any needs. I'm low maintenance. What, like, treat me however. It's fine. We are not setting ourselves up for that 
meaningful, intimate connection that happens when you're willing to say, hey, when you did that, that felt so good for me. Literally like being able to say, please, please do that again. Or please don't, please don't stop doing that thing because it is so meaningful to me. It feels scary because you're also showing somebody else, you know, what's meaningful to you and what could really hurt you if they stop doing it, right? Or what would feel sad or, you know, what would feel like a loss? What would disappoint you? But when we show people those parts of ourselves, right? When we show the people we love and the people we trust who we really are, that is how we access love and belonging. That is how we access intimacy and connection that so many of us are longing for, especially those of us who have shown up all our lives as people pleasers, as codependents, as sort of trying to fill this hole in our lives, in our souls, with kind of showing up and helping others, but losing ourselves along the way. And so this is really a big part of that journey. And this is something that I hope that you can take away is that, you know, in the next week, when someone in your life does something that makes you feel good, Fucking tell them. Let them know, hey, when you sent me that text right before my big presentation at work and I was so nervous, that text from you that said good luck made me feel so good. It showed me you were thinking about me, that you remembered that I told you it was at this time. That was so meaningful to me. Thank you. Right? Or, you know, when your significant other has your coffee ready for you in the morning and you know, you haven't mentioned to them how much that means to you. Saying that, just telling them. The worst that's going to happen is that somebody's going to be like, oh, okay, cool. (laughs) No one's going to respond in a crappy way to being told that they made you feel good. I really believe that. And if they do respond in a crappy way, you can reach out to me and we'll talk about it. (laughs) But I really don't think they will. People like knowing that they made the people they love feel good. So let them know. I really hope you do that this week. I hope you have a fantastic week because I think you're amazing. And I hope you think so too. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you loved it, please take a second to subscribe on your favorite platform, leave a rating or a review, and take a screenshot and share it on social media or with a friend who needs to hear a message like this one. I love the chance to hear from you and connect with you because it gives me the opportunity to remind you that you are worthy, worthy of wholeness and happiness and just good things. So send me the question or the topic that's keeping you up at night or that you just want to hear more about. You can send me a voice memo at anchor.fm slash Aubrey Henderson, and I can actually include any voice memos that you send me in the show, which I think is pretty bad. Or you can send a good old-fashioned written message from my website at aubreyhenderson.com. I'll see you next time, babes.